everybody, Mike Dempsey here. It's NFL playoff time, and you can still win playing Underdog Fantasy by picking higher or lower on player stats at underdogfantasy.com. Sign up with promo code 1010XL, and Underdog will double your first deposit up to $100. He's Hacker. So much so that I had to ask around. I'm like, hey, I'm kind of a nice guy, right? Hacker is an ass. I try as I'm getting into my old age at 39 years old. Try not to let things bother me. Just know that I'm ultra soft. And he doesn't shy away from opinion. See Baker Mayfield throw four passes. But, but, but I get to see this homeless guy return a ball for oh, a touchdown. Come. It's Hacker After Dark on 1010XL. And a very good Thursday evening to you, Jacksonville. It is Hacker After Dark, 1010XL, 92.5 FM with Dylan Denmark. The Hacker Ryan Green with you. Glad you are with us as we are on the doorstep of Divisional Playoff Weekend. I'm pretty excited about these playoff games. Interesting storylines in every single one of them. We've previewed them during the week. We will continue tonight. And, of course, as we round out the week tomorrow, have correspondence in every city where there are divisional matchups taking place. Tonight, we'll go down to Tampa. My buddy Zach Wobner, WDAE Radio, to talk Buccaneers and Lions. That comes up in the 9 o'clock hour. Guest lineup before that looks like this in less than 20 minutes. Leon Searcy, former offensive tackle for the Jacksonville Jaguars, Pro Bowl. Offensive tackle for the Jacksonville Jaguars. You get him every day on prime time. You get him weekly here on Hacker After Dark. We'll talk Jags. We'll look at the playoffs as well. We have not forgotten about a couple of other sports. Do you realize we are at the midway point of the NBA regular season? Every team is roughly at about game 40 or 41. We're right in the middle of the NBA regular season. Trade deadline is only two and a half. Weeks away, Sean Devaney, heavy.com, to talk NBA with us coming up later on in the program. And all the news in college football, from the Saban retirement to the Mike Norvell extension in Tallahassee and all parts in between, we'll talk about it with my buddy Bill Bender of the Sporting News. That comes up towards the end of the 8 o'clock hour. But as we always do, to kick it off here on Hacker After Dark, we give you a big deal of the night and Dylan Denmark. Let's do that right now. Time now for the big deal of the night. What's the big deal? What is the big deal? It is a big deal. On Hacker After Dark. You know, when you have a collapse of franchise-altering proportions, which is what the Jaguars had in the final six weeks of this season, change is inevitable. Right? And we've already seen it. Defensive coordinator Mike Caldwell gone. An additional, what, nine or ten assistant coaches gone. They have yet to hire anybody. I would imagine hires will probably start taking place next week would be my guess. They seem to be doing a lot of these interviews. And at very minimum, I think we're going to start seeing some finalists for that defensive coordinator job. But change is inevitable. Caldwell is gone. Was he the... Culprit of all the problems? No. I think the defense was part of the problem, certainly. But if I were to ask you, diehard Jaguar fan, I'm willing to bet you would say Mike Caldwell was the third of the three problems behind both Press Taylor and Trent Baalke. 
in whatever order you want to put them in. And we've heard rumors, we've heard rumblings in the last 10 or 11 days since the season ended that there could potentially be some rift there, there could be some issues there between Balky and Press Taylor. And then today, Albert Breer, Monday morning quarterback, covered the NFL for years. He does his mailbag. And wouldn't you know it, this exact topic was brought up on a national level. Albert Breer, responding to a question from a Jaguar fan, says, quote, there was at least some buzz the past few weeks of the season that the Jaguars' front office, led by Balky, was looking hard at where the offense is under Taylor. And if you remember, Peterson's loyalty to his coaches is what, in the end, wound up leading to his firing with the Philadelphia Eagles. Change is inevitable when you lose five out of six and you have a collapse the way the Jaguars had a collapse. But here in Jacksonville, that change was on the defensive side of the ball. We're darn near two weeks removed from the season being over. I can't imagine them doing anything else with the staff as far as letting people go. Too much time has gone by at this point, if you're asking me. So, we're going to have to live in harmony. They're going to have to live in harmony. Doug Peterson, Trent Baalke, Press Taylor. Here is the problem with when you bring in Doug Peterson and you did not let Trent Baalke go after Urban Meyer. Your GM and your head coach are not in sync. They're not lined up. They didn't get brought in together. For whatever reason, Shad Khan made the decision to keep Trent Baalke, a general manager that, to my knowledge, had no past history with Doug Peterson. So then you bring in Doug Peterson, and last year, everything's fine, right? Slaps on the back, kumbaya, marshmallows, and ukuleles. Everything's great when you win six in a row and get into the playoffs. But what happens in the bad times? Well, I think you're starting to see some of that. I think you're starting to see at least rumors out there, like this article from Albert Breer today, that there is some friction. A buzz is how he described it. That Balky and management were taking a hard look at Press Taylor. Now, what does that mean? It means nothing. Doug Peterson has proven in Philadelphia, and he is proving here in Jacksonville, he has no intention of getting rid of Press Taylor. None. Zip. So if Balky and Peterson, call it butting heads, whatever you want to call it, are already doing that, going into the offseason, how will this work if there's rumblings about Balky questioning Doug Peterson's right-hand man? How is this going to work when you're starting to put a plan together for free agency and for the draft? Uh, you know, this is something you worry about. And I know that I brought this up. I know a lot of us brought this up on 1010XL when Peterson was hired. You're always weary when a general manager is told by the owner who his head coach is going to be, or when a head coach is told by the owner, you have to work with this general manager. 
Sometimes it works. Sometimes it doesn't. Look at our brethren in Nashville. Mike Vrabel was coach of the year in 2021, right? He's gone now. Fired after one year with he and new general manager Rand Carthon because it didn't work out. That happens a lot. And yet in Detroit, a team that's getting ready for a divisional playoff game, a team that won their division, just won their first playoff game in 30-plus years, Dan Campbell, Brad Holmes, came in together. What a concept. Came in together. We're on the same page. I don't like this report and this story by Albert Breer, and it is not the first time I've heard something like this revolving around Balky and questioning the offense in the last 11 days since the season ended. This is not good. Not good to happen this early in the offseason. Now, maybe cooler heads will prevail, but I got to tell you something. It's all about saving your own skin too, man. Make no mistake about it. If the Jacksonville Jaguars do not make the playoffs in 2024, heads are going to roll. And it might be Doug Peterson. It might be. But it'll definitely be at that point either Bulky or Press Taylor. Definitely. They got one year to turn this around. I don't care if they go 9-8 and eight and miss the game by a half game again. You got to make the playoffs in 2024. You can't have four years of Trevor Lawrence and make the playoffs one time. That's not going to work. Look at Justin Herbert out in L.A. He's about ready to have his third different head coach in four years. Third different one. You cannot wait when you have a franchise quarterback like a Herbert or like a Lawrence. So you can bet your bottom dollar, man. The Jaguars better be in the playoffs in 2024. There's going to be a lot more than just a defensive coordinator showing the door. Can it work amidst all these rumblings that are happening already? Who knows? And again, do Balky and Peterson have the same mindset? Do they have the same player personnel development, whatever you want to call it, Balky's drafting guys that, let's be honest, they are not playing. Uh, you know, Tank Bigsby did not play. Brenton Strange had more holding penalties than he did catches. Yasir Abdullah did not play. That's a problem, right? Are these Balky picks or are they Peterson picks? I don't know. You got two different ways of thinking. But I'll leave you with this because we got a good guest lineup tonight, and Leon Sears is going to join us in less than 10 minutes. This is not the first time that rumblings have come out about Trent Balky butting heads with people. Yeah, it happened with Urban, and we took Balky's side on that. But go back to San Francisco, man. It's not hard to find. Go back and find all the stories about Balky and Harbaugh. Balky and coaches out there in San Francisco. Button heads on the West Coast. Is there a power struggle now on the East Coast? If there is, if there is, what's the common denominator there? Trent Balky. 
So we'll see, but I do not like this story from Albert Breer. I do not like the fact that it appears, based on this and based on rumblings, that Balky is questioning Doug Peterson's guy because Doug Peterson's not doing anything with Press Taylor. He proved that in Philadelphia. Obviously, that's the same case here in Jacksonville. Your goal in life, ladies and gentlemen, is to find somebody that is as loyal to you as Doug Peterson is to Press Taylor. And if you find somebody that's as loyal to you as Doug Peterson is to Press Taylor, you've done a good thing. You've done a good job. Because there is loyalty there, man, in a major way. And we'll see what happens. Again, it's going to happen quick. We're going to enjoy the playoffs for the next, what, three or four weeks, and then franchise tags come out into February. NFL free agency begins March 11th. March 11th. What do we have here? There's 13 days remaining in January. Leap year is 42 days in February. We are 53 days away from the start of NFL free agency. How about Wolfson math there? Are you kidding me? Mr. Ward, Portable 8, Algebra 1 and 2, thank you very much, Wolfpack Nation, for giving me the tutelage to be able to figure that out that quickly. 53 days until free agency. You got to figure out what you're doing with your own free agents long before that, including franchise tags. And I truly hope Balky and Peterson and Taylor and everybody are on the same page. But stories like this make you wonder about that. 641-1010 is the phone number on the phone line and on the text line designed by Lifetime Enclosures. Coming up next, Leon Searcy, former Pro Bowl offensive tackle for the Jacksonville Jaguars. You get him every day on primetime. You get him weekly here on Hacker After Dark. Let's talk Jags. Let's talk free agency. Let's talk outlook to the offseason. And let's talk divisional playoffs. Leon Searcy next, Thursday night edition of Hacker After Dark. Let's ring up another guest on the All-Pro Roofing phone line. Back here on 1010XL and 92.5 FM in the city of Jacksonville. We are glad you are with us. The divisional round of the playoffs get underway Saturday. Four games, eight teams that will decide the conference championship matchups next weekend. With that, let me welcome in my friend Leon Searcy, former Pro Bowl offensive tackle for the Jacksonville Jaguars. You get him every day on primetime. And you get him weekly here on Hacker After Dark. Leon, how you doing, man? I'm I'm doing great, bro. Leon, appreciate the time. All right, you've had a week now to digest the end of the Jaguar season. It's all about looking ahead. As I've mentioned tonight, four teams in the AFC that are still playing. The Jaguars beat Houston once this year. The Jaguars beat Buffalo. They lost to Kansas City by a touchdown. And it was 10-7 against Baltimore late in the third. As bad as the end of the year was, Leon, and it was bad. I'm not trying to sugarcoat it. It just goes to show you how close all these NFL teams are together. Oh, absolutely. The best thing about the NFL there is parity. I mean, there. I, I, I always say this, that I, I've never experienced being out of the playoffs, but I always, I always say that when you're a team that's out of the playoffs, you always look back and you say to yourself, what was that game that cost us our inability to make it to the playoffs? And I tell you the game for the Jaguars and all those those different scenarios that you said, beating Buffalo, 
and, you know, going toe-to-toe with the, the Ravens in the third quarter and beating the Tech. If the Jaguars take care of business, which they didn't at home, they had to take care of the business against the Texans, that first game at home, and come out and play the way they were supposed to play at home and win that game, right now they wouldn't be sitting home watching TV. They'd be out there on the field probably playing in the playoffs right now. You know, the fact that the season's been over for a week and a half, are guys beginning to get over it? or guys beginning to, you know, look ahead to the offseason and that? Or is it still going to bother the Jaguar guys for quite some time, the way the season ended? Well, I mean, it should. I mean, if you care enough about uh, the team and yourself and the way you perform, I mean, listen, every player on that team needs to look themselves in the mirror and individually evaluate themselves and ask themselves, did I do enough to help this team win? And the answer is no. Because you're home. If you did enough to help the team win, you'll be playing right now on Saturdays and Sundays. So, I mean, there's no one. Everybody's hands is dirty. I'm talking about from the top of the bottom. You know, everybody's hands are dirty. Everybody was attributed to this colossal collapse that the Jaguars, who went from a number one seed to out of the playoffs. So if you're a player and you give a damn about Duval and your performance and this team at heart, you're not feeling comfortable. I mean, listen, even when I all my years I played in the playoffs and we lost maybe in the wild card, the divisional round championship game, and hell, even the Super Bowl, I never felt good about myself because the only person, the only persons that get to feel good about themselves is the last ones on the stage holding the Lombardi. I mean, that's got to be the approach of every player on that team. Until we host the Lombardi, the season is a failure. Former Jaguar Pro Bowl offensive tackle Leon Searcy. Leon, you and I talked about this briefly last week, but I got to tell you, man, I've heard this from too many people now. I'm of the opinion Anton Harrison's going to be the starting left tackle here in Jacksonville next year. I I just think that's going to be a story that's going to pick up some steam as we get closer to minicamp and OTAs and all that. And if that does come to fruition, what would your thoughts be on that? Well, I mean, I can understand it. I mean, from a financial aspect, I mean, Cam Robertson's going to ask for more money, and they've already paid Cam a couple of times already. He's already making, what, almost $17 million a year. And, I mean, Anton Harrison, which, quite frankly, was probably the best, the most consistent tackle on the team as a rookie. And that's so shameful to say, but it's so much, it's so true. And, you know, this, this kid, you know, when he came out of Oklahoma, I mean, he played left tackle. Played it well enough to get noticed. Now they moved in the right tackle because they already had a situation where they had Cam Robertson and they were trying to develop Walker a little. So I mean, I'm asking give the kid a shot. It's, it's going to. Be, I mean, he's he's flourished at right tackle. He's been consistent, and this this has a lot to do with um, money money situations as far as Cam going into next year, or whatever. And they're going to use it as leverage against Cam as far as the negotiations go. So I understand what they're doing. The reason why they're leaking it now is because they know Cam is going to want more money. And, uh, I mean, it's a, it's a, it's a strategy by the Jaguars to, uh, to, to kind of, uh, let Cam know that, um, he's not the only, the only viable option on the team. I love Cam. And you and I talked about that during the year. I, I would, if it were me, I would bring Cam Robinson back. I understand the idea though, because you do save a lot of money if you release Cam Robinson. And the question then is, if you move Anton to left, that presumably means Walker Little at right. So let's say we get to training camp, Leon, and you and I are out there in August 
and your two starting tackles are Anton Harrison on the left side and Walker Little on the right side, would you be okay with that? Uh, <clears throat> Walker Little's going to show me a lot more. I mean, he actually digressed as a player on the left side, especially. He just plays too high. He has problems with he has problems with move guys. And he has problems with strength guys. He plays he's six seven. He plays like he's six nine. He needs to play like he's six four, especially when he's got the bull rush. He has a he has the tendency to be straight up and down when it comes to the bull rush. So he's got to be used. I mean, the kid's big and athletic and everything like that, but sometimes he does get himself in trouble because he plays so high and he and he plays with uh, his hands outside instead of inside. Uh, but, I mean, right tackle, moving him to right tackle and Anton Harris, I mean, I, you've got two. I, I think that Walker Little is probably, will probably be a little bit more established at right tackle. Uh, he could probably be a little bit more of a brute uh, because he's, essentially he's not going to be going up against probably the best pass rushers on his side. But um, he's a quality guy. I wouldn't have a problem with it. You know, uh, you know, Hacker, I'm a stickler. I may not have a problem with it uh, initially, but I, I you know, uh, I'll have to see how this train runs down the road, down the tracks before I can give them the okay on it. No, I completely understand that. I just think that's the direction we're going. It's just a lot of money they would save if they release Cam Robinson. A couple of more for Leon Searcy, former Pro Bowl offensive tackle for the Jacksonville Jaguars. You get him every day on prime time. You get him weekly here on Hacker After Dark. Leon, as we take a deep breath now, almost two weeks removed from the year, I think it's okay to point out some positives, right? Everything last week was negative, negative, negative. But if you look at the season, a couple of things. We mentioned Anton Harrison. I thought he was very good as a rookie. I also mm-hmm. think Trayvon Walker found something in the last two months. I mean, the guy finished with 10 sacks. He upped mm-hmm. his sack total. He basically tripled his sack total from his rookie year to his second year. What were your thoughts on Trayvon Walker? And certainly moving into 2024, <clears throat> you got to be excited about what, what might be there. Oh, yes. I, I mean, listen, I, I mean, they're a dynamic duel. I mean, you, you, I can officially call them bookends, all right? I, I just don't uh, throw that name out there all willy-nilly. You got to establish yourself as a uh, as a, a formidable force before I give you that bookend. But we've got some bookends now, especially on the defense side of the ball. I mean, what what, what Josh Allen did and what Trayvon Walker did. I mean, uh, you're talking about what 27 and a half sacks. I think that as far as duels go, I think that's the tops of the NFL. I don't think there's any other duel that had that many sacks. And, uh, and, and I think Drayvon Walker's um, uh, reestablishing himself as one of the elite pass rushers had a lot to do with the fact that Josh Allen was doing so well. Because, listen, any player, I don't care what you say, they might be a teammate, but you competing. And you can't look across the field and see one of your teammates eating and you don't eat at all. I, say, I tell people this all the time. You know, I, when I came here for, to Jacksonville, from the Steelers, you know, I was a, I was a up and I was a rising uh, right tackle, and I was doing well. But you know, I had a you know I had a competitor across from me, and don't get don't get it twisted. Me and Basili are great friends now today. But while we were playing, we competed, and we competed, and that's how we got better. And I couldn't sit there and watch him eat on the other side, me not eat. So having that kind of competition, having that kind of friendly battle elevates not only your play, but it elevates the players around you. So, I mean, that that's a good thing. So I think Trayvon Walker uh, learned something this year that, um, you know, it's a healthy competition between him and Josh Allen and the first one to the quarterback wins. 
You know, I thought Trayvon Walker might have gotten overlooked last week because, again, so much negativity about the collapse. I'll tell you another guy that got overlooked. Evan Ingram, and the year Evan Ingram had with 114 catches, becoming only the second Jaguar ever to go over 100 catches in a year, joining your former teammate Jimmy Smith, who did it twice. And Ingram was only too shy, Leon, of the all-time record in the NFL for tight ends for receptions in a year. Ertz holds that record, Zach Ertz, with 116. Evan Ingram finished with 114. Now he didn't get to 1,000 yards, which is interesting. He was obviously catching a lot of short passes. But regardless, boy, the year Evan Ingram had should not be forgotten. It shouldn't. And you know, it's a travesty that he didn't get any Pro Bowl recognition. I think he was, I'm not even sure if he was an alternate or not. He may have been an alternate, but it's a travesty that a guy like that gets that so many catches doesn't get any Pro Pro Bowl nods. The Pro Bowl's freaking rigged. Uh, But anyway, uh, yeah, the kid, uh, he had, I mean, listen, the one thing I, I appreciate about Evan Ingram was that he wanted the ball. I mean, when you when you saw that the offense was sputtering and, and it had no real consistency or flow flow about it, he wanted the ball. He would always make a catch somewhere down the middle, toe tapping on the sideline, you know, to 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 kind of rejuvenate the offense. That's what I appreciated about him so much. Is then the run after the catch. I mean, I don't even really call him a tight end. He's a flex. I mean, he's 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 a he's a cross. He's a hybrid between a wide receiver and a tight end. You know, he's somewhere where he's a he's a he's a matchup nightmare if you put a linebacker on him. And then if you're a safety, I mean, he has the ability to outrun you. So I I just like the kid. I like his moxie. I like his confidence, and I like the fact that you know down the stretch he wants the ball. So uh, hats off to Evan Ingram because you know they, they were trying just a year well just two years ago they were trying to run this kid out the league. You know, a former first-round pick, talked about his drops and all the other kind of stuff, and it was good to see him come and resuscitate his career here in Jacksonville. And I got to admit, you know, outside of probably Calvin Ridley, he was probably one of the big, big signings for the Jaguars this year. He's got over 180 catches in two years here in Jacksonville. Absolutely incredible. Final moments with Leon Searcy. Leon, quickly, let's get to the games this weekend. Uh, Houston-Baltimore, the AFC South champion Houston Texans. That still hurts, but that's the reality. Do they have anything for Baltimore, or do you think the Ravens have an easy time of it? I, I, I think they they do have – they may have a shot. They, they have a shot. I mean, you, you – you got to look at this. Uh, as much as we celebrate the Ravens and all their accomplishments uh, during this season, because they were outstanding as a team and an organization, uh, Lamar Jackson has only got one playoff win in his career, and um, and I I know this too in the AFC as of late. Within the, over the last five years, the one seed hasn't fared well, so. Uh, it's to be celebrated because they had a hell of a season. Lamar Jackson is going to probably be the, the league's MVP. Uh, but, you know, it pains me to say this, that uh, the Houston Texans, they're, they're formidable. And here's the thing about them. They're, they're just young and dumb enough not to know any better. Uh, they're going to go and play. I mean, if Baltimore comes in, I think they they got to, you know, they're going to have to pay vacation against the Texans. I think they got a rude awakening coming. 
Yeah, Baltimore was the one seed in 2019 and lost. Tennessee was the one seed. I want to say, what was that, 2021, and they lost. Mm -hmm. So you're right, the one seed hasn't always been great in the AFC as of late. Uh, Saturday night, Green Bay, San Francisco. Conventional thinking, Leon, is that Green Bay cannot possibly do that again. They played a darn near flawless game on offense and just absolutely destroying the Dallas Cowboys, but clearly a different animal this week with San Francisco. Yeah, I mean, uh, I, I mean, you look at Matt LaFleur and, and Kyle Shanahan are kind of mirror images of each other. You know, they they motion, they formation you, they run the ball at you, they play action, they take their shots. I mean, I mean, they're they're almost a uh, fraternal twins, to be quite honest with you. But I just think, as far as the talent level goes. 49ers has just got just got too much talent on both sides of the ball. Uh, I think what Jordan Lord did last week against the Cowboys is was something as remarkable that I, I have seen. Well, by both quarterbacks, I was so impressed by the the young the young quarterbacks who had never played a playoff game, uh, like a CJ Stroud and Jordan Love, and to come out and play the way that they played under all kind of pressure, and then deliver. So I mean, the Jordan Love, I mean. I'm not going to count Green Bay out either. I just think that the 49ers just have got too much talent on both sides of the ball. And although Green Bay may make it a game late, I just think that that talent is going to supersede their effort in in the end. Quickly, Leon, to Sunday, Tampa Bay and Detroit. Don't you love it for both Baker Mayfield and Jared Goff? Two, what, number one picks in the draft that were left for dead, right? Both have Mm -hmm. absolutely revived their careers and one of them is going to be in the NFC Championship game next week. Yeah, I mean, listen, I fell for Detroit. You know, I mean, you're, you're talking about an organization that hadn't won a playoff game since 1991. I was a senior in college the last time they won a, a playoff game. So, uh, yeah, it was good, you know, uh, Detroit to be celebrating. I mean, you, you're talking about over three decades since they won a game. So, uh, plus, they got a good team. They got a very good team. They got one of the best offensive lines in the league. Jared Goff is playing well. He's not turning the ball over. They got consistency with running the football with Swift. And defensively, they get after it pretty good. Uh, as far as Tampa Bay goes, I mean, they Baker Mayfield is, uh, you know, he's like he's he's reassessed. I mean, he, he's resuscitated his career as well in Tampa Bay. I mean, this guy being the first pick overall after his. Um, after his demise in Cleveland, you know, he's been a journeyman. He's been on all these different teams. Now it seems like he found a home in Tampa Bay. And, and anybody that goes after the GOAT, I mean, you go after the GOAT and then, you know, you deliver the goods. I mean, it's to be celebrated. And the way that he played against uh, uh, Philadelphia Eagles, throwing for three touchdowns, and, and, and his, his long ball was very accurate down the field. And it's just someone who's playing with a bad ankle and, and bad ribs. Uh, yeah, he's a tough little he's a tough little cookie, and it was good to see him play. What's not only him play, but the whole team play well to beat Philly. I've always liked Baker Mayfield. He's got a little moxie to him. A lot of mm-hmm. uh, I kind of like that, no question about it. He's a very easy guy to pull for. And then finally, Leon, we got sixty seconds to go. The big one everybody's looking forward to: Kansas City, Buffalo. Mahomes finally has to go on the road, and wouldn't you know it? He's got to go to the Bills Mafia. In, in Orchard Park, New York. What a scene that should be on Sunday night. Well, I mean, listen, Josh Allen, 
I mean, it's different when you when you your home court and you and, and you got the ball and they got to come play with it. I don't know if you were back in the day, hack, but I used to be a hooper back in the day where I would. If I would go to somebody else's court and they beat me, I say, okay, when I get you on my court, it's going to be something different. You know, I got my ball, it's my court, it's, it's my home, you know, my home court advantage. So, I mean, Josh Allen's in a situation right now where I'm at home and you got to protect your home and, and, and play accordingly. So, I, I think Josh Allen's has been looking for this moment uh, for a couple of years now. He's always had to go to Patrick's place and win, but now you know Patrick's got to come to his place and and see if he can win a ball game. So I, and listen, it's going to be a thriller. It's going to be an absolute thriller. I cannot. I, listen, I'm going to have my popcorn ready. I can't wait for this one. This one, last one. I believe the last one who has the ball wins. So I think it's going to be a shootout, and I think the first one to forty wins. And the crazy thing is, again, Mahomes, all the postseason success. He's never played a road game in the playoffs. Mm. That is insane to think about, and that'll change Sunday night in front of the Bills Mafia there in Orchard Park, New York. Leon Searcy, former Pro Bowl offensive tackle for the Jacksonville Jaguars. You get him every day on primetime. You get him weekly here on Hacker After Dark. Leon, I know you're busy, brother. Thank you for the time. We'll do it again next week. You got it. There you go, Leon Searcy, always kind enough to join us here on Hacker After Dark. More analysis on the divisional games as we get further along into tonight's show, and that'll certainly be a big part of tomorrow evening. And I love all four games. Again, there are backstories galore. Baltimore, Lamar Jackson, he's got only one playoff win. John Harbaugh has only two playoff wins as the Ravens head coach since the Super Bowl win over a decade ago. They should beat Houston, right? I mean, they should Boy, the way Houston's playing, who knows, though. Green Bay, can they do it two weeks in a row? You knock out Dallas? They can't do it to San Francisco, right? We'll see. And then Sunday, as I mentioned with Leon, either Jared Goff or Baker Mayfield is going to be playing in the NFC Championship game next week when both guys were given up on by a couple of NFL franchises. And then, as we mentioned, the big one, Kansas City and Buffalo, Mahomes' first road playoff game comes in front of the Bills Mafia there in Orchard Park, New York. That is absolutely appointment viewing on Sunday evening. More into the National Football League coming up in just a moment. We'll also do a little NBA talk about 35 minutes from now. My buddy Sean Devaney of Heavy.com. But coming up next, college football, the regular season, or I guess the season, ended 10 days ago when Michigan hoisted the national title. Think about everything that's transpired in the last 10 days. The greatest coach of all time retires. Mike Norvell is an 80-plus million-dollar man. All points in between. Let's talk about it with Bill Bender, national college football writer. For the Sporting News, he joins me next. Hacker After Dark on a Thursday night in Jacksonville, Florida, and we're glad you're with us here on 1010XL 92.5 FM. Let's ring up another guest on the All-Pro Roofing phone line. Back here on 1010XL and 92.5 FM in the city of Jacksonville, we are glad you are with us. The college football season in the rearview mirror, the Michigan Wolverines are the national champions, and that was only a week and a half ago. 
yet there has been an amazing amount of stuff that has transpired in the world of college football. Let's get into all of it with my friend Bill Bender of the Sporting News. He's always kind enough to join us here on 1010XL in Jacksonville. Bill, how you doing? Hey, I'm doing well. Um, and you said it. I mean, I got off the plane from Michigan and Washington and Houston, and there have been six coaching changes since Nick Saban retired. The chain reaction of that decision has kept me busy over the last week and a half. There's no question about that. It's been crazy, Bill, and let's begin right there with Saban. I was floored. Uh, I mean, I know people that, that cover Alabama that say that, you know, he was out recruiting and he was on conference calls literally the day of the announcement. I mean, what was your reaction when you found out the greatest coach in the history of college football was calling it a career? Well, I won't call it shock because whenever he's 72 years old, you know, that we, we were prepared for this on some level. I just think it's the, the not ready for it part, because when I was in Houston, you heard from multiple people, Hey, he's going to coach forever. He's, you know, he's nowhere close. The competitive drive's still there. And you know, maybe he woke up that morning and thought, yeah, you know what? I'm good. Uh, it, but it, it is a, shockwave decision like I said when anytime you talk about a guy that's lorded over the sport in so many ways 11 SEC championships between LSU Alabama seven national titles I, I feel like it's like everybody else probably feels like they got more of an opportunity now there's no doubt about that and look you know a couple of years ago Bill in the world of college basketball we saw Coach K Roy Williams Jay Wright Jim Beheim. they all kind of got out at the same time. And at that point, I was wondering, well, NIL, transfer portal, maybe the old guard in college basketball just said, I'm not doing this. I've had enough. And they all moved on. And talking to people around Saban, and I'm curious your thoughts from a national level, do you think the NIL world that we're in now, the transfer portal world that we're in now, sped up Saban's timeline to, to retire? It's a contributing factor. There's no question um, because, you know, there, there's a sentiment and I heard from somebody is uh, this was a good way of putting it. Dabo takes all the, the heat for that, right? Because he's so outspoken about it. He feels the same way. He, he maybe hasn't been as vocal. I mean, but and then again, he has, you know, remember the whole beef with Texas A&M that required two separate press conferences because, he said they bought their players. So I'm sure there is a certain level of frustration with the portal and the collectives and the direction this sport is going, which is rudderless in some ways. So maybe that, and I think he can use his influence from the game day pulpit from as an ambassador to college football, when it's clear that he doesn't have his own self-interest at Alabama, if that makes sense. Bill Bender of the Sporting News. Bill, whether you talk about Saban, and he was 17 years at Alabama, you think back to the likes of Joe Pott, Penn State, obviously Bobby Bowden in these parts at Florida State. We're never going to see that again, right? I mean, where we are in today's day and age in college football is the day and age of guys being at a school, you know, 15, 20, 25 years. Is that going to go to the wayside once, I guess, Kirk Ferentz leaves Iowa? I think so. I, well, it's crazy you say that because when he, when Nick Saban won his first national title at LSU, the 
coaches with national championships at their school was a list that included you know guys like Bowden and Paterno, Tressel, uh, Lloyd Carr, Philip Fulmer. And now, you know, he leaves the sport and the list of guys that has a national championship at their school currently consists of three guys. Uh, Jim, uh, um, Kirby, Dabo, I almost said Jimbo. Jimbo is not at his uh, <laughs> national championship school. I don't want to say that on your radio station, for sure. And then uh, Jim Harbaugh, who it may not be that way in a week. Who knows? So I, I think those that's a sign of the times, that he was able to do it that long and outlast so many legendary coaches. Kalen DeBoer takes over the impossible job of replacing Nick Saban. And look, maybe I'm reading too much into this. Maybe my SEC bias is reading too much into this. But to hire a guy, Bill, at the University of Alabama that has very little to no ties to the southeastern part of the country was interesting to me. What what was your take on that? Yeah, yeah. I mean, you guys down there are, are definitely judgmental on that. There's no question. And, and I don't I say that in terms of Nick Saban wasn't from down there either, but you know West Virginia pretty close. Uh, so he he definitely proved it by winning. I think that only matters if they if they start losing because to your point, when it becomes a judgmental thing is Joe Moorhead at Mississippi State when it starts to go wrong. Uh, Brian Harson at Auburn, right? That's that. That's the ultimate one right there. Brian Harson. I was going to say that one next. That as soon as they start losing, they'll use that against you and find ways to get you out. Now, I would urge Alabama fans to give Kalen DeBoer a chance. What he did at Washington the last two years, I mean, phenomenal. Sounds like he's putting together a staff. When you're able to able to get Kane Walmock and uh, Maurice Linguist to start, yeah, he's he's going to build a staff. He knows how to win. But you're exactly right. I mean, that'll be something. That's something Ryan Day deals up with up here in Columbus because he's not from Ohio. He's from New Hampshire. A couple more for Bill Bender of the Sporting News talking college football. You mentioned Harbaugh, Bill. Uh, At the time, you and I are talking. We know he's interviewed with the Chargers, reportedly now interviewed with the Falcons. That kind of caught some people off guard. What is your take on on Jim Harbaugh? Do you think he wants to go back to the NFL? I mean, would it be hard to leave Michigan after winning – a national championship. Your thoughts on that whole situation? I think he wants to stay, but this notion that in his, he wants to make sure that the NCAA won't punish them further, I, I, you know, you can't predict that. So I think inevitably, if the deal's sweet and the Chargers or Falcons or whoever wants to play ball, um, that he'll end up in the NFL. I mean, the Chargers has always been the one that made the most sense to me. He can go back out west. He leaves Michigan. Regardless of what happens from here, he won a national title. I don't see any way that that gets vacated. So, yeah, I mean, for him, it, it's got to feel awesome to do that. And then he's got a chance, and I think this chance to chase the Super Bowl. I've been pointing this stat out over and over again. The only three coaches that have won a Super Bowl and a national title are uh, Jimmy Johnson, Barry Switzer, and Pete Carroll. And doesn't Jim Harbaugh remind you of those guys in some ways? 
Yeah, I could definitely see that. And the, the Pete Carroll news, obviously, he just stepped down as the head coach of the Seattle Seahawks. But I could definitely see Harbaugh going back into the NFL. Now, he coached in a Super Bowl against his brother, obviously lost that game when Baltimore beat San Francisco. But Harbaugh would, would round out a terrific coaching career if he could become the fourth guy to ever win a national title in college and a Super Bowl in the NFL. If he were to leave, again, if he were to leave, Bill, would Michigan just simply promote from within? Yeah, I think Sherman Moore will be the next coach. Uh, no question. Uh, you know, they could make calls because everybody ha- – you get so much your responsibility to make some calls. But I think it would be very similar to what happened with Ohio State when Urban Meyer retired in 2018. Um, they just went straight into Ryan Day. And it worked. I mean, that worked. And for Sharon Moore, I mean – you can't have a better audition for the job than he did and win the three games when Harbaugh was out. I mean, they beat Penn State, they beat Ohio State. That's case closed in some ways. Now, can he do it for 365 days a year? That'll be the big question, but I think he can. Final moments with Bill Bender of the Sporting News. Bill, that brings us to our neck of the woods, to Tallahassee. If you were to tell Seminole fans in August of 2022 that 17 months from now – we're going to sign Mike Norvell to an eight-year extension, paying him over $10 million a year. They would have laughed in your face. The transformation in 17 months from Norvell being on the hot seat to now being one of the richest coaches in college football is absolutely staggering. It is, and you can loop in there. They signed him to that to prevent him from going to Alabama potentially. And you'd be like, what? Um, so, so yeah, remarkable job of turning the roster, maximizing the talent on that roster, turning them into an ACC playoff contender that should be in the playoff this year and moving forward should be a force in the ACC. So, yeah, I think he's done a fantastic job. And for them to hold on to him, that speaks a lot to the confidence that they're going to have in Mike Norvell. Uh, in the next chapter of college football, I didn't miss the uh, NIL violation, it sounds. But, I mean, I'm going to be honest. Like, I didn't look at that violation in, in any way shocked or it, other than why are they punishing that? Yeah, because I've heard from other, you know, people around the, the country, particularly, you know, Florida, Miami, Georgia, that cover those teams and say, wow, if you're going to penalize Florida State for that, you're going to be penalizing a lot of college football programs in the near future. It's almost as if they're targeting Florida State, which was odd. Uh, Florida State in the state of Florida, Bill, four big schools if you lump in UCF, every one of them with a transfer quarterback. Florida, obviously, Graham Mertz, year two. Florida State with DJU coming in from Oregon State. You got KJ Jefferson now at UCF. And then Cam Ward says no to the NFL and yes to the Miami Hurricanes. Really interesting dynamic when you look at those four quarterbacks in our state here in Florida. Yeah, and, and that's this is the sport as well. You have two choices. You can continue to try to recruit and develop four- and five-star quarterbacks, or you can play a little bit of roulette. I mean, K.J. and Cam in particular have played a lot of football. K.J. really good dual-threat quarterback when he's healthy. Cam Ward, high-volume passer who did all that at Washington State without the benefit of a good running game behind him. So I'm really intrigued to see how he'll do at Miami. Mertz was turning it on a little bit before he got hurt at the end of the year. And 
DJ, you back in the ACC is such a good story. So I, I think he's played a lot of football too, and he's won a lot of games. So I think upgrades in most cases, a lot of experienced quarterbacks. And you saw that last year, a guy like Michael Penix, Stetson Bennett, those guys have played a lot of football and we can make fun and make jokes all we want. But if the game allows for you to have a 23 or 24 year old quarterback that can play a little bit, there's no reason not to do it. And, Bill, I'm all for the transfer portal. You and I have talked about that in the past. But DJU is an example. I'm not going to fault the kid. I'm going to fault the system. It's his third team in three years. When you get to that point, you're going to be the third starting quarterback for three different teams in three different years. Is it a problem at that point? I think so. I, I play. what are we going to do about it? We open this door. I, I, I'm still a fan of – we're going to restrict this the second time somebody's transfers they should have to sit a year and some people might say well that's not what it's about you want your kids to have time to play yeah you do but i mean we're living in an environment now where kids are doing this in high school right they're not they're they're transferring from high school to high school each year in state to out of state and i don't I don't know. Maybe I'm a little old school, but I think on the second one, you should have to sit a year, and I'm going to stand by that. Yeah, no, I completely agree with you. I think that's a great idea, and I think that's something they should do because at some point it's going to happen. You're going to have four different schools in four different years, and I think when you have that, then people will look at it. But to me, three schools in three years is about the same problem. Bill, leave us with this. It's a changing of the guard in college football, man. I mean, the next time – we have a game that counts on August the 24th. You're going to have four new teams in the Big Ten, two new teams in the Southeastern Conference. The Pac-12 won't even exist. You got four new teams in the Big 12 and, of course, three new programs in the ACC. From a guy like you that does this every day, probably the most interesting offseason we've ever had leading into the most interesting season we've ever seen in college football unprecedented and that's what the, the, all the sport has its warts and its problems and it's you know I, I i call it like the guys in suits that that have issues the product on the field is going to be tremendous i mean i had a blast down in houston watching the college football playoff championship game i still get energized when you get into the debates about teams and rankings and all those things so yeah and i know like this is why i love coming on your show down there because like i always say that the Florida people and the Ohio people, we, we believe it or not, we share a special kinship because we get through it day to day, but we love our football, and uh, I couldn't be happier to be on your show. I know you guys do a great job down there. Well, we certainly appreciate it. And, yeah, when you think about next year, the season will start August the 24th, and then the season will end January 20th. We're going to have five months of college football games that count. It is going to be absolutely spectacular. Bill Bender of the Sporting News. Bill, always appreciate the time. Let's do it again around spring ball. Thank you, my friend. Hey, no problem. Thanks for having me on. Let's ring up another guest on the All-Pro Roofing phone line. Back here on 1010XL and 92.5 FM in the city of Jacksonville, we are glad you are with us. You know, we've been so caught up in the NFL playoffs and the College Football National Championship diehards like me know this you guys the casual fans might not we are at the halfway point of the NBA season already absolutely insane in fact the trade deadline is about two and a half weeks away as the NBA will really start 
to heat up. With that, Sean Devaney is our NBA guy. Heavy.com is where you find him, and he's always kind enough to join us here on 1010XL in Jacksonville. Sean, how you doing? I'm doing well, Ryan. How are you? Hey, Sean, we're good, man. Thank you for the time. And the Orlando Magic, I got a crazy stat to throw at you, Sean. You and I have talked through the years. I am a long-suffering Magic fan. <laughs> this is the first time they're they're going to be above 500 at the 41-game mark. First time since 2012. That is horrific, but also a testament to where this young team is that for the first time in 12 years, they're above 500 at the midway point of the season. Yeah, and, and you know, it's um, it's obviously required a lot of patience uh, from, from uh, ownership, from Jeff Welton and John Hammond in the front office, uh, you know, to really uh, stick with what they've got. Um, I think there was some pressure on them, you know, to maybe do something last year. Uh, uh, last summer to maybe go for a veteran, go for somebody who uh, would help them win. That was what I kept hearing. Uh, and they resisted the urge to do that and kept their pieces in place. Uh, now, they still could eventually uh, uh, make that kind of move, but uh, I think they really wanted to see what they had uh, on hand. Uh, and obviously, that's what they've done. Uh, you know, just a, an incredibly fast start through the first 20 games of the year and obviously uh, slowed down a bit since then. Uh, but, you know, no question that you can see uh, that this is a team uh, when, when you start with uh, uh, when, when, when Wagner's healthy uh, and, and you've got uh, Paolo Bancaro, that, that, you know, that's a pretty good one-two punch there uh, that they could have for a long, long time. They've been decimated by injuries. I'm, I'm curious mm-hmm. to see how good they'll be when they're healthy. I mean, Markel Foltz, Wendell Carter have missed a ton of time. Jonathan Isaac has missed a ton of time. Gary Harris, uh, Joe Ingles, I mean, Winda, you know, Franz Wagner, just go on. The guys that have missed so much time, and yet they are still four or five games above 500 right now at the midway point of the season. You mentioned Ben Caro, and I was talking to a buddy of mine, Sean, about this, trying to find an NBA comparison for him, maybe in the past. You know, six foot 10, 245, 250 pounds, a guy that moves like Ben Caro. I really couldn't find a comp for him. Somebody brought up to me Carmelo, and, I mean, that's a pipe dream right now, but maybe the same type of body as Carmelo. But when you see Bancaro, is there anybody you compare him to? Mm. No, it's 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 a it's a good question. Uh, I don't – yeah, you know, I'm not 100%. I guess I can see Carmelo a little bit, um, you know, with a little bit of uh, – uh, you know, maybe Julius Randle when he's at his best. Uh, you know, there's there's a lot of negative that comes with uh, uh, with uh, uh, with Julius Randle that I don't think Ben Carroll has. I think he's a lot more athletic. Um, you know, maybe Kevin Love is is somebody just for the way he can uh, rebound and, and 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 pass the ball as well from the high post and uh, and read double teams. Kevin Love is always very good at that at his peak, um, and 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 that's something I see with Ben Carroll. But uh, no, I mean, you know, you know, with his body type and 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 his uh, versatility, it is definitely hard to find uh, that 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 level of uh, uh, of because uh, you know, he can play for away from the basket. You know, as good as Carmelo was, for for instance, he was not a perimeter player. 
uh, for much of his career. That kind of came later, uh, but he definitely wanted to post you up. He wanted to back you down uh, and, and and try to shoot over guys. Uh, and Ben Carroll has that in his game, but he, he, he's much more comfortable playing on the perimeter, passing and uh, and, and and reading the defense. You can run your offense through uh, through Paolo Ben Carroll. I'm not sure you can really do that uh, with a Carmelo Anthony. Sean Devaney, heavy.com, talking NBA with us here on 1010XL. Sean, the Orlando Magic are in a just a jumbled mess in the Eastern Conference. There are so many teams that are within a game or two of each other, and we'll get to that in a moment. Do you think Orlando needs to do something before the trade deadline? They seem to have a logjam of guards, right, with Fultz and Anthony Black and Cole Anthony and Jalen Suggs, who – most of those guys have played very well, quite frankly. I'd, I'd be surprised if Orlando wanted to deal them. But do you think Orlando might need to do something at the deadline to secure themselves as a playoff contender this year? Yeah, I mean, it depends if they want to be a playoff contender. You know, it depends if that's if that's really the goal here or if the goal is, like you say, just kind of see what we've got, uh, see who we can rely on. You know, you mentioned the injuries before, uh, and, you know, you can wring your hands and, and, and say, oh, geez, it's, so, it's too bad that, they've, that, that, that we've, we've been dealing with all these injuries. But at the same time, look, if you're going to have Martel Fultz as your, as your point guard, you've got to be prepared to not get 82 games. I mean, that's been his history. Wendell Carr, you've got to be prepared. If, he, if he's going to be your center, you're not getting 82 games. You know, he, he never done that in the NBA so uh, you know I think I think that's part of the issue that 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 they're dealing with here is they've got to look at okay who can we rely on here um, and and you know if if if, if going forward you're going to have Fultz and, and Carter as 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 your starters uh, you're going to be very disappointed so I I, I think that uh, you know when you step back that's that's how they're looking at at this trade up and they can get somebody uh, who can help them in the short term but also in the long term uh, to solve some of those issues then, uh, then that's something that, uh, uh, that 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 I think they do. But I think they're they're they're, they're taking this uh, with uh, uh, with patience first. Uh, and uh, uh, like I see, like I say, I, I think they really just wanted to see. Uh, okay, what can we what can we rely on going forward here? Uh, and I think they've gotten a, a clearer picture of that. It is nice in mid to late January to actually still be talking about a playoff possibility for the Orlando mm-hmm. Magic. That hasn't happened in quite some time. Sean Devaney, heavy.com. Sean, I mentioned the Eastern Conference. I mean, good grief. It appears that it's Boston and everybody else, and then you got Milwaukee and Philadelphia right under them. And then you just got a jumbled mess from Indiana to Miami to New York, Orlando, Brooklyn. I mean, you just throw a bunch of teams in there. Mm-hmm. What's your take on the Eastern Conference right now? Yeah, you know, I, I, I think the Celtics have certainly established themselves as as the team to beat. Um, you know, we saw Milwaukee go uh, and play Boston uh, a week ago or five days ago, whatever it was, uh, and really take it to the Celtics. I think they wanted to show that that they're still uh, a factor here as well. Uh, and Philadelphia, you know, Joel Embiid has been great. I think Nick Nurse has done uh, a really good job uh, reshaping that team, reshaping the way Joel Embiid has played, you know, kind of pulling him out from the basket a little bit more, running through things, running things through him a little bit more. Um, so, you know, those three teams are definitely uh, head and shoulders above everybody else. And then I think, um, you know, I, I think Miami's probably the fourth best team. 
Uh, we'll see what happens at the trade deadline, whether they make a move, whether they just get healthy. I mean, they've, they've really struggled with health. So I, I think that's probably the fourth best team. But you get into Indiana uh, and the Knicks, uh, we've seen the Knicks make one move. Uh, they, they could yet make another, at least for a backup center. Uh, I think that'll say a lot about where they go. And then, you know, the Pacers in, in talks for Pascal Siakam. If they wind up getting Pascal Siakam, how does that change? their dynamic so yeah i mean i i think there's still a lot to be determined after the first three but i think the first three uh have uh, uh have solidified themselves uh pretty much boston milwaukee uh and philadelphia in the eastern conference and then we'll just have to see how four five six uh really shake out yeah toronto's having a fire sale ananobi to the knicks although i thought toronto Sean, got good value for them with R.J. Barrett and Quigley, and we'll see how that works out. You mentioned Siakam, the rumors about Indiana. And then you look outside Toronto, I guess the biggest name, right, at least in the Eastern Conference, is Zach Levine to see what happens with him at the trade deadline in Chicago. It's it's going to be tough. Uh, you know, Chicago really wants to move him, but they want, they want, you know, they want the big package in return. They want the three first-round draft picks and a young player, uh, and uh, uh, teams from the outside are saying, okay, if we're going to give you, if we're going to take Zach Levine, then you've got to take some bad contracts from us and be happy with that. <laughs> you know, that, that Levine, as good a player as he is, because his contract is, you know, five years and, and $215 million, and you've got to pay him, you know, 40 to $50 million over the next four years, per year over the next four years, you know, no, nobody wants to do that. So teams are looking at, at Levine like, all right, we're doing you a favor for, for, for trading for him. We're not going to give you anything back. Meanwhile, the Bulls are saying, well, no, he's a star player. You've got to give us a star player package. Uh, there's got to be some 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 meeting in the middle there in order for a, a, a Zach Levine trade to, to actually come to fruition. Uh, and they're still, they're still a long way away from that. I think the other guy to look at too, Ryan, is uh, – uh, is DeJounte Murray with the Hawks. You know, we'll, we'll have to see what happens with him. Uh, they have certainly had uh, 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 more than one uh, uh, trade talk involving him, uh, and, and I'd expect him to be moved uh, by February 8th as well. Yeah, I wouldn't hate that. That guy kills the magic every time he plays him. He's a good player there in Atlanta. Final moments with Sean Devaney of Heavy.com. Sean, you go out to the Western Conference. I think it's just a matter of teams getting healthy, right? If everybody's healthy – I'm not sure Phoenix isn't the best team, but we still have seen a very small sample size of Booker, Durant, and Beal on the court together. Denver is still very good, although maybe not as good as they were a year ago. Can the Lakers stay in this thing, or is Father Time going to catch up on them? What's your take out west right now? Yeah, I, I, I think help is going to go a long way, especially you know with the Nuggets and with uh, uh, with with Jamal Murray and and uh, uh, of course Michael Porter. You know how does he hold up? Um, so yeah, you know Denver, I still think is is the team to beat, but they've just got to sort of get out of their own way. <laughs> you know, make sure that they get healthy and make sure they they arrive in the playoffs healthy. What's interesting about about the West is that a lot of the assumptions that you know. I made, and I think uh, I, I was not alone there, uh, have have just been turned on their heads. Um, and so you get Minnesota, 
uh, you know, really showing some staying power. Uh, you know, it, it, they got the fast start. I think a lot of people assumed they'd, they'd die off. But, uh, you know, Anthony Edwards, uh, uh, you know, has been fantastic. Mike Conley, uh, uh, you know, a good uh, addition for, you know, Minnesota has really shown that. And same with Oklahoma City. You know, I think I think you're, you kind of expect that they're just going to fall away, that they're too young to be where they are. Uh, but, uh, but, you know, they, they, they just kind of keep, keep showing that they are, uh, you know, at least one of the four best teams in the Western conference. And then the other, the other team is the Clippers, you know, I mean, you know, they get James Harden and he's, he's been miserable everywhere he's been, uh, you know, finally he winds up with the Clippers and, uh, you know, they're scoring 125 points a game, uh, but, uh, and they're not playing a whole lot of defense, but they're winning. And so, you know, th- th- those are all pretty big surprises, but that's the top four, you know, I mean, that's the top four in the Western conference and, uh, you know, we're midway through the season. So you have to think that, uh, uh, that, that, that these teams, uh, are going to stay where they are that, that, you know, they're not flukes. Um, and, uh, you know, Minnesota, Oklahoma city and, and the Clippers are, are, are teams to really watch, uh, from here on in. Yeah, that's a good call. I think my buddy here in Jacksonville, Drew is the only Minnesota fan in Duval County. He loves his Timberwolves <laughs> and I gave him so much grief about the Rudy Gobert trade. I still think it was terrible, but it doesn't look as terrible. Now Rudy Gobert's right. played very well for them. You mentioned James Harden. That's working for now with the Clippers. We'll see. Uh, finally, Sean, in the West, uh, as far as the Zach Levine in the East is the biggest name that you hear at the trade deadline. You mentioned Murray in Atlanta. Is there anybody out West that you think of name value that could be on the move? Yeah, you know, I mean, we'll see what Utah does uh, because they've they played better, I think, than, than, than they expected. Uh, again, which has been uh, uh, sort of a theme with them. You know, I think Danny Ainge really wants to rebuild, but but they keep uh, playing playing themselves right up right up to the line with the playoffs. But you know, Lowry Markinen uh, uh, is certainly a, a possibility. Uh, Jordan Clarkson is a possibility uh, there. Colin Sexton uh, is a possibility there. So yeah, you know, I think I think Utah is probably the team to watch. You know, which way do they go uh, in terms of uh, uh, you know. Do do they try to sell off some of these players? John Collins, a guy that they've just got this past summer, uh, they've, they've been said to be uh, willing to to move him as well. So, uh, you know, Utah's played very, very well. Have they played well enough uh, to where they won't make a trade uh, at the deadline? That's that's going to be the big question. Um, and, you know, we, and we'll have to see. You know, Memphis is, uh, is another possibility as well, uh, you know, with all the injuries they've had. Of course, Stephen Adams and, and now John Morant. So, uh, you know, are they going to try to sell off some pieces uh that's that's a big question too but but i think uh, i think utah is probably a team to watch sean devaney heavy.com sean leave us with this tell the good folks here in jacksonville about heavy.com and what they can anticipate when they head over to go for their nba coverage yeah we're we're covering all teams and uh and uh you know trying to uh uh, keep everybody apprised of what's going on in, in terms of trade rumors, especially lately, uh, but then uh, also what's happening on the floor. He's our NBA guy on 1010XL, my buddy Sean Devaney. Sean, I know you're busy, man. Thank you, as always. We'll talk again soon. Okay, thank you, Ryan. Back here on 1010XL and 92.5 FM in the city of Jacksonville, we are glad you are with us. And then there were eight teams left in the NFL playoffs, and in the state of Florida – Only one remains. No, it's not the Miami Dolphins, and heck no, of course, it's not the Jaguars after their collapse. It is the Tampa Bay 
Buccaneers. Fresh off dispatching Philadelphia, they now head to Detroit with the winner of that game playing for the NFC Championship. Our guy down in Tampa is Zach Blobner, WDAE Radio in Tampa. He's always kind enough to join us here on 1010XL. Zach, how we doing? Uh, we're doing great. The uh, the vibes are, are awesome here in Tampa Bay these last few days. Zach, you cover the team every day, man. If I would have told you at the beginning of the year, heck, if I would have told you six weeks ago that the Tampa Bay Buccaneers would be one of the last eight teams standing, what would your thoughts have been? Zero percent chance. Uh, just there's no way you could have convinced me of that. Uh, and look, you know, we've pretty much had a good idea that if the Bucks found a way to win the NFC South, pretty much for, for half the season that it would most likely be the Cowboys or Eagles, whoever didn't win the division. And knowing that that opponent was most likely going to be on the other side, despite the Bucks hosting a playoff game because they'd be the division champs in that hypothetical, not many, if any, thought that they had a good shot to, to win a game against either of those squads. Yeah, so I, I mean, 0% is obviously being tongue-in-cheek, but very, very low odds. Um, for a team with a first-time play caller here in Dave Canales in Tampa Bay, the new OC, Todd Bowles, who does not have a good track record as a head coach, even last year where after the playoff loss to the Cowboys with Tom Brady at the helm, he was 8-10 and 10 in his first uh, season as the head coach with the Bucks. So a lot working against them, yet here we are. You could argue, Zach, and tell me if I'm wrong, Todd Bowles was on the hot seat around Thanksgiving, right? I mean, what happened? I mean, I think you could say he was on the hot seat 48 hours ago. Uh, there's still a big contingency, uh, both in the fan base, and then I'd say the media is mixed and matched on Todd Bowles keeping his job if the Bucks do not win that playoff game over Philadelphia, which sounds a little crazy. I don't know how legitimate it was, and we will never find out now, obviously, because they were victorious. But yeah, Todd Bowles, for not being a big hype guy, a big energy guy in terms of when the camera's on him, when he's on the sidelines, the players feed into him. They listen to him. They love him. And it's something that I think even us close to the vest, we lose sight of because, again, he's not a rah-rah guy. But you ask people that are even closer to the team, you know, in the locker room, the players, the staff, and they're like, no, 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 no. He's got a fire in him. He is a guy that the players relate to and that they enjoy being around and playing for. So I think it's just a matter of perception on the outside versus the inside when it comes to Todd Bowles. And, look, winning solves everything, right? So in terms of being in the NFC South champ, that was nice. Getting a playoff victory is just solidifying it even more for Todd. Zach Blobner, WDAE Radio in Tampa. Baker Mayfield comes to the Buccaneers on a kind of a prove-it deal, kind of resurging his career, if you will. And everybody thought, you know, after Brady retires that the Bucks were going to be dead in the water. In comes Baker, and good grief. He's been phenomenal in most of the starts as of late, including Monday night, almost flawless against Philadelphia. I mean, Zach, your thoughts on Baker Mayfield to this point? Take me back to the beginning of the season. I was one of the people that said, you know, whether it be because of injury or poor play, there's no way he gets through 17 NFL games in an 18-week season. We'll see Kyle Trask. That never happened. He's healthy. He's figured it out. Even when he's been hurt, he's gutted it out. And he's been really good most of the games when he's been out there. He's protected the football this year better than he's ever done in his career. Um, and he is having a career year, I think, uh, partially in big part because of that, protecting the football, not turning it over. So it's been great to watch with Baker and what he's doing. I think another thing when it comes to Baker in terms of his arrival in Tampa Bay, there's a level of maturity that might not have been there. Uh, when he got into the league with the Cleveland Browns. He just seemed like 
he got it, right? We talk about guys who quote unquote get it and not being around Baker. I don't want to say, you know, back when he was with even Carolina last year and the one game or two games with the Rams. I, I don't know him like that, or I didn't before he got to Tampa Bay, but I can tell you now here in with the Bucks, he quote unquote gets it and it, it's paying off huge dividends for him. It's been a phenomenal season. The players love him. Uh, the coaching staff, like, he's the type of guy they wanted. And this, you know, I felt like about a month ago was a hot take, but now I don't think anybody would argue. Baker this season with the Bucks is by far a better fit than Brady was with this offense last year. And that's a crazy thing. Look, Baker's not better than Tom Brady career-wise, but he is a better fit. He's having a better year. He's been a better quarterback with the Bucs this year than Brady was last season. Yeah, I saw his touchdown-interception ratio last night. It took me aback, man. I didn't realize he had had that good a year against Zach Blobner, WDAE Radio, down in Tampa. You and I talked in the preseason and even before the Jags and the Bucks. Look, we know how good Mike Evans is. He's going to be in Canton, Ohio one day. We know how good Chris Godwin is. And those guys have been vital, don't get me wrong. But the offense is much more than them. I love Rashad White, what he's doing. And the other receivers, obviously, Monday night you saw making big plays downfield. Yeah, it's crazy. They're getting everybody involved. And it's not just the receivers. I think the tight end group is one that's been very underwhelming this year for the Bucs overall. But collectively, you know, when called upon, these guys can step in and make some big plays. Kate Otten, who is the starter, uh, he had a couple drops in the playoff game. One of them could have been a touchdown. Um, but he also had some very big catches. Payne Durham, a, a draft pick, a rookie, he had a couple catches. Coke Keith didn't really get in there, but he's another tight end that they use. Uh, in like a gadget role, kind of like Taysom Hill. You can be a fullback, you can be a receiver, a tight end. So they got some help from those guys. Chase Edmonds is the backup running back. He was banged up to start the season, so they didn't really get him in, until about halfway through the year. He's really helped Rashad White when he needs relief and get in there and, and get in the passing game. And then the biggest name that I think has emerged, which is the most shocking, is David Moore, a veteran they brought over here. Uh, it, we just didn't expect this guy to really be an impact player at all. Here he is these last few weeks making some big catches. We saw the big touchdown against the Eagles yesterday. You want to talk about a guy that we didn't expect to get out there and, and be doing some things on offense with this Buccaneers team. David Moore is certainly one of the names. And like you said, man, I mean, that doesn't even include the superstars Mike Evans and Chris Godwin. You know, the last time you and I talked, there was a soap opera surrounding Devin White. Obviously, they shut down the Jaguars in that game. They shut out Carolina to get into the playoffs. And on Monday night, Philadelphia didn't do very much and only scoring nine points. I mean, clearly the Buccaneer defense, Zach, are they playing the best football of the year to this point? They are. Um, Todd Bowles, you know, he loves to blitz, and he's been doing a great job calling the defensive side uh, these last few weeks. Even the quote-unquote game that wasn't beautiful against the Carolina Panthers to get into the postseason, well, they shut him out. Anytime you shut out a pro football team, that's something to hang your hat on. So Todd Bowles is doing a great job play calling, and they've leaned into the younger guys. I know you mentioned Devin White. He's back. He's healthy, but he's not playing a lot. K.J. Britt, a younger linebacker, has been in there even more, and he's doing a phenomenal job. Yaya Diaby is a rookie, third-rounder out of Louisville. He's getting a ton of sacks, a ton of pressures. He's built like Adonis. I mean, this guy's jacked. Kalijah Kansi is the rookie first-rounder right there in the middle next to Vita Vea. He missed a few weeks to start the season. He's playing great ball. And then in, even in the secondary level, we know about the all-pro Antoine Winfield Jr., but you have other guys in there like Zion McCollum, who's a younger player, uh, isn't one of the higher-paid cornerbacks like Carlton Davis and Jamel Dean. Well, Zion McCollum is a guy that they're throwing out there and, and is being counted on and doing a good job at it. So they're just getting help from all these youngsters 
um, that we at the beginning of the season didn't necessarily think would be starters, let alone impact players per se. I think the Buccaneers have won five out of six. It's like here in Jacksonville last year at the end. There was a swagger around the Jaguars, particularly getting into the playoffs that went over the Chargers. Do you sense the Buccaneers, the confidence, the the swagger, whatever you want to call it, they have to have that, right, after rattling off five out of their last six? Man, if you're going to attach one word to Baker Mayfield and the team he's on, swagger is a good one, right? Um a hundred percent. I mean, this team's confident. They're they're blocking out the outside noise, and they have been when it's good and when it's bad. And I think that's a true mark of a team that is together. Um, and, and that's one of the things that we said was a big storyline heading into the Philly matchup, and will continue to be moving forward through this postseason. Is they're all on the same page? And again, that starts at the top with Todd Bowles, trickles through that staff, and Dave Canales, the OC. Baker Mayfield, and just the team in general, they're very much on the same page. They're very much in unison. And as much as we talk about superstars in the NFL, it's a team game. So when you're playing like that together, um, you can do some big things. And that is, I think, what leads to the swagger, what leads to the confidence. And I don't expect it to slow down. They're not afraid of whoever the opponent will be, let alone this next one up in Detroit. Final moments with Zach Blobner, WDAE Radio in Tampa. It is Detroit on Sunday. Zach, I'm pretty sure you know this, but other than residents in Tampa, Florida, where you reside, I think everybody in the country is rooting for the Lions. They're kind of like the Cinderella, <laughs> the, the, the you know, whatever you want, whatever verbiage you want to use. When you see grown men crying at Ford Field, it's been 32 years since a playoff win. America kind of flocks to that. Is that the mindset of Tampa this week? Back against the wall, nobody wants us to win. That can be a powerful motivator. No doubt. The number one thing I heard last night in the post game uh, at the podium from Todd Bowles and Baker Mayfield was that they're underdogs and that they'll be underdogs again in Detroit. And that's certainly the case. They're going to be on the road this time. They're going to be point wise uh, in Vegas and even bigger underdog than they were at home against Philly. So, yeah, they're, they're going to continue to play with a chip on their shoulder. And I think that that's going to help them a lot. Really interested because I think when it comes to the Bucs, as you just talked about, like we know where their emotions are going to be at. We know how they're going to approach this in terms of, you know, feeling that underdog role. What about Detroit? Like you brought out Eminem and Barry Sanders and grown men were crying and Goff versus Stafford. And it felt like a Super Bowl type of game. It was the best game of the playoffs so far in the wild card round. Can you match that emotion, right? Do you bring Eminem out again? Like, what do you do if you're Detroit to get to that level again? that you were at last weekend. I don't know if you can replicate it. They're a damn good team. Don't get me wrong. And Dan Campbell is an awesome motivator. But it's going to be awfully hard to get back to that emotional level they were at. On the flip side, the Bucks are playing with house money, and their energy is not something I'm worried about. Is this more fun than even the Brady year? I mean, the Brady year, you knew you were going to be good with Gronk and everybody. I mean, you won the Super Bowl, and I guess maybe this year wouldn't be more fun than that yet. But this has got to be a surprise to people in Tampa. Are they kind of going with the flow and enjoying the ride? Yeah, I think so. And, and, you know, look, another big part of it is that Brady came over during COVID, right? So that first year, like, there was no fans in the stands. And even when we finally got to the Super Bowl, like, that was the most interaction I think we had as a football community all year. It just happened to be the biggest game of the year, too, and one the Bucks won in their home stadium. So a nice storyline there. And then it kind of, you know, restrictions started to get peeled back in the second year. And that was a great season because they, you know, lost it to the Rams. But they had a great run. Brady played like an MVP, should have won it, in my opinion, over Rodgers that season. And then last year was like full-fledged back. Everything was back, but they weren't that good. It wasn't a fun team to cover. Uh, the press conferences with Byron Leftwich were frustrating. And I, it just, it wasn't an entertaining season. 
this year there is a little bit more fun and there's this awesomeness of being able to be at the stadium and to talk to fans in the community and stuff as opposed to the last three seasons with Brady. So yeah, I, I would say because of all those extra factors, you could say that this is more fun uh, from start to finish so far, but apparently, or obviously I should say a Lombardi trophy would make all the difference. Does Tampa win on Sunday? Can they go into Detroit and get it done? I think they can. Do they? I'm not there yet. Um, again, I, I think it's going to be really hard for the Lions to, to match the emotions they had this past weekend. Now, the problem with the Bucs is they're consistently inconsistent, right? So that actually behooved them against the Eagles because the offense was not good against the Saints and Panthers to wrap the year. But you think about the two games prior to that, one of which was against the Jaguars. When they beat Jacksonville, they just came off of shellacking up in uh, Green Bay where they beat up on the Packers, who we all are watching, play good ball now in the postseason, right? So we know that they can string two games like that together. They did it against the Packers and the Jags. It wouldn't shock me to see them do it against the Eagles and the Lions. I like the Bucks to be in that game. I'm not ready to pick them to win yet, uh, but I wouldn't confidently pick the Lions to win either, if that means anything. Zach Blobner, WDAE Radio in Tampa. He's our guy when it comes to the Buccaneers. Zach, best of luck to Tampa. Hopefully you and I are talking next week about an NFC championship appearance. Appreciate you, my friend. Sounds good. Take care. And thank you to Zach Blobner, WDAE Radio in Tampa, for joining us tonight here on Hacker After Dark as our divisional previews continue. Tampa and Detroit. Who would have thought of that about a month or so ago? Baker Mayfield and Jared Goff, two former number one picks that were basically given up on by a couple of NFL teams, and now they will play on Sunday afternoon with the winner playing in the NFC Championship game a week from Sunday. Well, that'll just about do it for a very busy edition of Hacker After Dark. My big takeaway of the night is this. If you look at the four AFC quarterbacks that are still playing, C.J. Stroud in Houston, Lamar Jackson in Baltimore, Patrick Mahomes in Kansas City, and Josh Allen in Buffalo, I think it's safe to say that as of right now, you probably wouldn't take Trevor Lawrence over any of those guys. Now, that's not to say things cannot change. Obviously, C.J. Stroud came on the scene in a big way this year. But when we're thinking about Trevor Lawrence moving forward, kind of where he stands among AFC quarterbacks, clearly you would take Patrick Mahomes over him. You would take Josh Allen over him. You would take Lamar Jackson over him. And how can you not take C.J. Stroud over Trevor Lawrence, at least right now? Again, a year ago, it was a completely different conversation. A year from now, it may be a completely different conversation. But right now, I do think there is some trepidation may not be the right word, but maybe a little bit of uncertainty surrounding Trevor, certainly more so than there was 365 days ago. Well, that'll just about do it. Again, a very busy edition of Hacker After Dark here on a Thursday night. We certainly appreciate you guys hanging out with us. We got a ton of people to thank. Again, my buddy Zach Blobner, WDAE Radio in Tampa previewing the Buccaneers and the Lions. Thank you to Bill Bender of the Sporting News for talking a little college football with us, the Nick Saban retirement, the Kalen DeBoer hire there in Tuscaloosa, and, of course, the big contract extension for Mike Norvell in Tallahassee. Always appreciate my buddy Sean Devaney, Heavy.com, for talking NBA with us here on Hacker After Dark as we are at the midway point 
of the NBA regular season. And back in hour number one, my buddy Leon Searcy, former Pro Bowl offensive tackle for the Jacksonville Jaguars. He joins us every week here on Hacker After Dark to not only talk Jags, but certainly look ahead to the NFL Divisional Playoffs. We will be back tomorrow night on a Friday to close out the week, and we will do it all over again beginning at 8 o'clock. Dylan Denmark was your producer tonight. Dylan, great job as always. I'm the hacker, Ryan Green. And again, Jacksonville, thank you for spending part of your Thursday evening with us right here on Hacker After Dark, on 1010XL, and on 92.5 FM. So for all of us here on HAD, have an absolutely terrific remainder of your Thursday evening, and we will talk to you tomorrow night to close out the week on a Friday beginning at 8 o'clock. Until then, good night, Jacksonville.